was it bad? What was it like working with him, working with her? You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. And I have quite a show for you today, my celebration of the 2020 Tony Awards, which took place two weeks ago on September 26th at 7 o'clock p.m. You can now watch the entire four-hour ceremony on the PBS app and on Paramount+. Plus. The first two hours, hosted by Audra McDonald, feature most of the awards in the ceremony. The second two hours, hosted by Leslie Odom Jr., are a fabulous celebration of Broadway, featuring the awards for Best Musical, Best Play, and Best Revival of a Play. First tonight, we'll see some red carpet B-roll, both photos and videos. Then, I was lucky enough to attend the press room for the Tony Awards this year, and I'll be replaying the questions I got to ask to some of the night's winners, including Lois Smith, Alex Timbers, Anthony Veneziale, and more. Then we'll hear selections that include my questions with Kenny Leon and Matthew Lopez, who were respectively the director and playwright of Tony Award winners A Soldier's play and The Inheritance. After that, my extended interview with legendary Broadway publicist and producer Irene Gandhi, who was one of the four recipients of special awards at this year's ceremony. She started at the Negro Ensemble Company in the 60s, and since then has worked on myriad hits on Broadway and off, including Dames at Sea, Spring Awakening, Me and My Girl, Talk Radio, and more. She will also be involved with the upcoming Broadway production of Thoughts of a Colored Man. So, without further Further ado, the 2020 Tony Awards on Backstage Babble. And while you can listen to this episode in an audio format, I would highly recommend clicking on the video link in the episode description so you can watch it as well. And now, on with the show. shows are open and you know people should come back to New York and see a show. I mean just the fact that it's happening and that there are new shows opening and um, and a lot of my friends are now back to work and back in rehearsal and and after you know 18 months of you know this whole neighborhood where we are right now just seemed like kind of a ghost town really and it really did feel like a huge chunk of the city was missing and, and now slow even driving here tonight seeing you know people out and about and it's it's very it's a it's a nice sight to see i'm looking forward um for when my performance is over <laughs> it's not sort of till towards the end so i have what four hours of sweating in my seat it's gonna be fun I've watched the entire world upend itself and also watched the entire world try to rebuild itself at the same time. And I think that like in this moment of rebuild, rebuilding and um, regrowth, it feels both exhilarating and daunting to be standing on this stage right now. Like we're on this red carpet right now, you know? You know, people are wearing masks. People are still like getting back to not getting back to figuring things out. So it's, it's daunting, but it's exhilarating. So I'm excited to be here because I can finally celebrate the work that we all did for the last five years. Yeah, I'm working on a couple things right now. So I think the thing I'm most excited about is people re-engaging with our communities, right? Like rebuilding these communities that like have fallen apart and dispersed throughout COVID. So. Oh, it is like 
coming to a family reunion. This is a, truly a beautiful, beautiful night to celebrate us coming, coming kind of back home. Um, I walked in the theater this morning. It's the first time I've walked in a theater in 18 months, and I had to go take a moment by myself and cry a little bit. It's just like I'm so proud of how far we've come as a community, and, and um, yeah, the world has changed, but to be telling stories again. It's really an emotional day. Yeah, just think of all the incredible gifted artists on stage and off that have been out of a job for a really long time and it just feels good to come back and tell stories together. I'm excited for that magic space between the audience and the performers to come alive again. It's like um, there's nothing like it uh, and you can only have it when people come together and be sticky in a space. So let's get sticky again. Um, right now, uh, uh, American Story, uh, sorry. Right now, American Crime Story Impeachment is airing on FX. Um, I'm playing Paula Jones, uh, and you can also catch Be Positive on CBS um, on Thursdays at 9:30. Uh, my favorite award show of the year, uh, and it's the first one that I've gone to uh, since uh, things, since the craziest thing happened a year and a half ago. Um, I think it's nice to finally uh, recognize a lot of these folks that. Uh, have been uh, sort of embargoed over the past year and a half, um, so to celebrate their accomplishments. But there's that extra layer of not only we celebrating their accomplishments, but the sort of resilience of theater and its uh, imminent return. Uh, some shows have already returned, so um, yeah, celebrating that in, is is you know so much more than just a regular award show. You know, it's uh, it's a bit of a hopeful. Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for. It's uh, the award is, is the return, I think, you know? I mean, it's sort of a, a, a rhetorical question. People are like, what's the most exciting thing about theater coming back? I'm like, theater coming back. I don't know how else to articulate that. Um, I'm just happy that strangers can come together and be a part of something bigger than themselves, you know? You know, performers and audiences included. Very surreal. It's very crazy. I mean, here we are. It's September, not June. I have to say, it's cool. It's, it's, it's much more comfortable, but no, it's very exciting. I mean, you know, it's been a crazy year for all of us, and especially the Broadway community. So it's just more than anything, it's exciting. I'm looking forward to Audrey McDonald hosting the Tonys. I cannot think of a better person. I'm looking forward to my friend Leslie Odom hosting Broadway's Bag. And really just the celebration of so many friends being uh, recognized tonight, and it's a reunion for everyone. Well, I am working on a TV show right now called Raising Canaan with Stars. So uh, that's been amazing. We have a lot of uh, Broadway theater people on our show, which is really exciting. And, you know, theater's back. We can finally, New York finally feels like New York, New York again. I mean, because theater is so, you know, critical to New York. And, uh, you know, it's a celebration. My heart is bursting and breaking at the same time. It's like a time warp, like we never left. This community is always a part of me, but the last time I was here, I was blessed enough to accept Best Actress, so to be back center stage seems wild, right? It seems wild, but the love is still here, the talent's still here, the energy's still here, the fans are here, and that really is encouraging and affirming. I feel like the whole energy of the city shifted, right? When you know that people are coming to a destination and they're all gathering in these gorgeous theaters to listen to storytelling, and then those theaters open up and all the people gather again, it's just a different way. There's an ebb and flow and a breath and an excitement that's been missing in New York, and it's back. I'll be back in the fall to start work on Sarah Silverman's new project called The Bedwetter, which will hit the Atlantic Theatre Company. So, yeah, a brand new musical working from the ground up, and I can't wait. So excited because we've been around for like, uh, we've been out of it for 18 months. And the thing about it is like you miss that visceral reaction for the uh, the response from an audience. And because, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of Zooms, we've been, we've been trying to figure it out. But right now, getting back in the theatre, Getting that that uh, immediate response has been fantastic, and uh, and so it's like church. It's like you get that dopamine rush, you got that adrenaline rush. So it's great. Yeah, I'm doing a show called Chicken and Biscuits right now. We just started previews this week, and we are having the best time. Well, you know, everybody's been COVID, you know, compliant and the whole thing. But uh, it's it's been great. You know, the 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 support that you get and the love and the the because they've been missing it as well. The audience has been missing it. So. We're just having like a, a combustion of, of enjoyment together. 
just to celebrate theater, you know what I mean? You know, we, we missed having uh, our Tony Awards last year, so it's great to celebrate those shows that were just here now and just to kind of elevate the ones that are out right now. Hi, um, congratulations on a wonderful show and on winning the Tony Award. Um, Thanks. I would love to ask you, what was your collaboration like with Baz Luhrmann? And how did you take a very cinematic movie and put it on the stage? Well, you know, when Baz and I first met, we wanted two things. We wanted it to be as immersive as possible. And, uh, and that led to the idea of setting the whole show within the club and starting and ending the show there. And then the other thing we wanted to do is take advantage of the last 20 years of popular music since the original film. Uh, and so, yeah, that was the real jumping off point. And then he was a perfect collaborator. He, you know, stopped in at key moments, but also let us run with it. Um, and uh, I think that's because his background actually is in theater. And so he understands the adaptation process about the license you need, but also the rigor. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, um, it's so nice to talk to you both. Thank you for, for doing this. Um, I'm wondering how did the inspiration come to bring Freestyle Love Supreme back to Broadway this coming year? Um, I think it felt like the, the most perfect show to bring back. Um, besides the fact that everyone involved in theater so desperately wanted to send a message to the world that we're back mm -hmm. and we can work through such an incredibly difficult moment. Freestyle is really a show that can speak to the moment in the moment. Mm -hmm. It is different every night and it is topical. So anything that is happening in the world, the group can address in real time. And so that just felt like people have so much to say, there's so much going on and it felt like the, the perfect moment. Yep, what she said. Oh, <laughs> what I said. Thank you, thank you both. Yeah, sure. Hi, um, it's such an honor to be talking to you. Congratulations on this award. Um, Thanks, thank you. I would love to ask you, how has Broadway changed from when you made your debut in the 50s up until now? Oh. Um, costs a lot more to buy a ticket. <laughs> costs a lot more to put on a play. Um, about the audiences, I... I had a, a, a colleague, not as old as I am, but somebody who's been going to the theater and part of the theater for a long time saying that he thought um, the audiences used to go more um, easily to come and go. And maybe that is because of the expense, you know, but that now there is a kind of expectation. It's really gotta be terrific. Uh, I was interested to hear that, and I have a feeling that he had something, that he had noticed something that I hadn't particularly paid attention to. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And again, congratulations. Thank you. Hi, um, congratulations to both of you on a wonderful show and on winning the Tony Award. Um, I'd love to ask you about your collaboration with the director, Matthew Warkus, on creating the sound design. Um, well, we, we've both worked for Matthew for a long time. Um, I've been working with him since Lord of the Rings, which was about 100 years ago now. Um, <clears throat> so we, we've been together uh, for quite a while, and that means there's a kind of shorthand. Uh, we generally communicate, everybody's very busy these days, and Matthew texted me to say, I'm going to do a Christmas carol. Uh, it's going to be very, very simple. I just want boxes and chairs and probably nothing in it for you. And then I watched the first time Scrooge went through the door opening sequence and thought I was in for a really bumpy ride. It was going to be a very busy show for me. Um, but very little goes, very little said between us. We just, I just, he sends me little videos of the show or I take a little video in rehearsal and then I put a load of sound effects on it, on it or not. And he sends me a thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, and then we eventually meet up in about final week of rehearsal and um, hopefully everything comes good. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry, sorry to leave the, the, the chat there. I had to do that because my cat has decided to wake up and, um, you know, shout very loudly. Uh, not in any way um, 
in a celebratory way, but um, I, so uh, um, Simon's just touched on something, which is that uh, when Matthew and I and Simon and Chris and Hugh with Jack Thorne decided to start this um, journey, we tried to do it with as little as possible. And um, so, you know, it's easy for me to strip away stuff, but then what happens is that the, the, the burden becomes other, people, other people's work and what, what Simon is sort of downplaying and he's being sort of very sort of humble about is that if I'm not giving them a door, then he has to provide the door, the door lock or whatever the sound of me. So, um, you know, I was, I was working to, trying to st strip stuff away um, and Simon and Chris um, specifically and Hugh actually were having to work very hard to try and fill the gaps. So that was, you know, Matthew and I set out he and I together set out and trying to move stuff, like remove stuff, and that meant that everybody else had to add stuff. And um, that's 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 the trick of this production, I think, is that you feel as if you're getting stuff that you haven't actually realised you're getting, and that's because of Simon and Chris and Hugh just filling in all of the gaps that um, Matthew and I were just creating. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, um, congratulations on a wonderful show and on winning the award. And I'd love to ask you about your collaboration with uh, Derek McLean and Catherine Zuber, both Tony winners tonight. Wow, you know, I, I just feel like the young, like I've, I'm just starting in my career and I'm working with these beautiful powerhouses. They have such an amazing and uh, uh, unbelievable amount of stunning work behind them, and then a chance to work on Moulin Rouge, right? The chance to open the box and figure out what we could make of such a special, special uh, production, musical, right? And and so holding and working with such generous, kind people, it's really a career highlight. When Derek's, certainly their personalities, but also the talents, right? The detail, the precision, the, 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 the sort of love and charm that's put into all the efforts, it's 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 uh, it's an amazing chance to work with uh, those uh, that talent. Thank you, thank you. When I started to write the play, I felt incredibly disconnected from the gay community. Um, I felt uh, divorced from my own history, and it was my attempt to understand it, to make contact with it, and to make peace in some ways with the parts of it that I had. Uh, um, a less than ideal relationship with, I wanted to understand how being gay shaped my life, how being um, a gay man who was a child during, during the epidemic, who came into his adulthood just as um, the antiretroviral treatment started to uh, be widespread, um, becoming a sexual being in New York City as a young gay man having been taught uh, the lesson that, that, that my sex life would kill me. And uh, I needed to unpack all that. I needed to understand it. I needed to get a lot of that out. Um, and I hope having done all that, that others will come to the play with their own um, questions and their own, um, the things that they're wrestling with. And, maybe not get all the answers they're seeking from the play, but hopefully that the play will encourage them to begin to seek uh, themselves. Hi, um, congratulations on a wonderful play and on winning the Tony. I would love to ask you, um, how did you first get the idea to adapt Howard's End and how did you sort of approach changing it to make it into a play? Well, so I had always loved um, the, well, first I saw the movie when I was a teenager, and then uh, my mother was a, a school teacher, so she bought me the book, and I read that, and um, I just I, I fell so madly in love with that, oh, with that story, and um, and his writing and his compassion. He has, if, if you know the writing of Ian Forster, he's such a humanist. He's so um, his, his writing is overflowing with humanity and 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 wit and. Um, 
And so I've always loved it. And I was, uh, I was maybe like around 27 or 28. I remember I have like an email uh, from like 20, 2008, I think, in which I had emailed a friend. I said, I said, crazy idea. What if I took Howard's End? And I like said it in the present day and it made it about, about gay men uh, and generations of different, different generations of gay men. And instead of social class and, and, it was like, no one's going to want to see that. Don't do that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm glad I didn't listen to that uh, advice. And instead, I um, charged ahead. Look, it, I think of this play as just sort of the ultimate fan fiction. Um, I really wanted to just um, work on, on some... I wanted to delve into the mind of the Enforcer and into that book. And since it had already been made into a gorgeous film, I... I, I I decided to do my own thing with it. And it was it was the happiest decision of my life. I mean, I'm very happy uh, that I decided to do that. I did not, I was sitting in Central Park in Sheep's Meadow. I could not have told, of, would you know, would no one have ever thought in that moment that it would lead to this. Um, but that's just one of those great mysterious joys of life, you know? Well, congratulations again and thank you. Thank you. It almost seems like, uh... You know, we have insight into the future, you know what I mean? We, but we did that play and that play was all about uh, America, uh, those who serve in the military, their love for this country, the whole idea that people in this country who knelt at sporting events uh, were considered not to love their country. I did this play with 12 wonderful men um, and, I, and the play ends with a big image of an American flag with, with black men saluting the audience as we hear a Nipsey, uh, a Nipsey Hussle uh, hip hop tune. So I married 1982, really 1940, the play took place in 1940. I married that to 2020. And um, it's even uh, more important now, given what happened right after we opened the play with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. So I just think that, that as artists, our job is still to really to impact the world through our storytelling. And like I was saying on stage, the more the more stories we hear, the more uh, the clearer we get to truth. I do think this reset has given us an opportunity to start anew. And uh, I think it was a good step to produce seven plays by African-Americans on Broadway stages this season. But the truth is in the pudding and time will tell. So next week, next year at this time, what would it look like? Um, you know, uh, how will we go about inviting um, other cultures to our stages? So I think it's a, just like everything in our country, you know, we're at a critical time with climate change, uh, education of our young people, healthcare. And uh, I think that Broadway is just, you know, we, we, we have to be a part of the solution. So yes, I'm, I lost the uncle, uh, two uncles and an aunt to COVID. And, but everything else about uh, this last 18 months has really been good, I think, for the country because were it not for this reset, I don't think we will be talking about making changes on Broadway and making changes um, in our world that affect race and acceptance of all people. So I think it's a great, a wonderful be beginning. And it's just going to take all of us because um, I do feel that we can do better as people. Uh, uh, many Americans, many of us are selfish and we don't think outside of, outside of our personal self. And every, you know, we should, we should be about sustaining the evolution of mankind and we're not taking care of our future. So I think storytelling is a part of that. Oh, hi, um, congratulations on a wonderful play and on winning the Tony Award. Um, I'd love to ask you about the casting process for this play with great actors like Blair Underwood and Tony winner, David Allen Greer. The casting, pro oh, <laughs> you know, with every Broadway show is, uh, you know, you always have to find a couple of, uh, you know, uh, above the title actors, you know, just to get the play up and so that it can be competitive against other Broadway shows. And uh, I'd always wanted to work with Blair. And so uh, actually I called David Allen Greer first and uh, I worked with him on The Wiz Live and I called him and he said yes right away. And then uh, soon thereafter, I contacted um, uh, Blair Underwood. And once I had those two, 
it was a, it was a beautiful thing. And then Nande uh, Asamoah came on and Jerry O'Connell and this just was a good, I've never been in a room with that many men who were so passionate and so giving. So it was a great process. We auditioned a lot of other folks. We had Jerry Grimes and Rod Demery who were, who were new to uh, Broadway, but it was a beautiful cast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, this is Irene Gandy. This year's, no, 2020, Tony Honors of Excellence of Theater is my second Tony Award and I'm a legendary Broadway publicist. And you're watching me on Backstage Babble with Charles Kirsch. I'm here. Oh, yeah. I'm here. You get my new, you get my, my new look. Oh, I love it. You're so young. Oh, how old yes. are you? I'm 13 years old. Oh, I love it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, I like that. Thank you for doing this. It's so nice to meet you. And okay, well, so I love by um, asking you how you first became interested in a theater, in theater. Okay, I didn't become interested at all. Um, you can also Google, I mean, no one wants to be, a, how I became interested in theater or being a press agent. Or, or did, did they happen at the same time or did one happen before? No, what happened was everything, no one wants to be a press agent. I mean, I, I remember, um, <laughs> I was, I live in Greenwich Village and I'm a village person. And so I, there was a guy in my building that, uh, let me fast forward. Um, in the old days in the village, we were all bohemians and hippies. And, and, I, and instead of taking drugs, I took, went to acting a class, acting school. And so I went to one class and I met this guy who was, had a uh, was there was a cast party at the group from the bridge and I met a casting director and he put me in a man called Adam a movie I was like oh this acting is not so hard I was an extra I don't take one class and next thing I was on a set in a movie and so fast forward um to that I didn't like acting at all I mean oh. anyway but I never went to, I figured you know but that was great and then I got married and then I had my baby and in the building that we lived in at the time, one of the neighbors wrote children's theater. And one day he said, oh, for the place called Electric Circus, which you're too young to remember, but it was like the first, like before Studio 54, it was on St. Mark's place. And he said, oh, my owl is missing. My owl cannot come to work today, but do you mind? I know understand you're an actress, would you like to? be an actress would you like to come play the part oh so I said okay and then when I went there I had grad I'm originally from Westbury Long Island and when I went there I was in reunited with my um I don't know how I got a fly with um a guy who graduated from high school with Fred Garrett and he his 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 partner ran the theater and Fred I said what are you doing he said, oh, I'm working with the Negro Ensemble Company and Douglas Turner Award has asked, you know, for this grant, blah, 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 but nobody wants to be a president. Only white people were coming for the job. And he said, "We, you know, this is the last day. I haven't seen you in four years, but would you just go up and do the interview? Because, you know, we were looking for people of color because that was um, in 1968 and everything was black explosion. People wanted to do movies and, you know, so nobody wanted to be. I didn't even know what a press agent was. I do know that I liked old movies and that um, the press agent, Mae West would say, oh, my press agent didn't kidnap me. And so that's all I knew. So I said, well, I'll go for the interview. And uh, you know, Charles, you're not, you, you know, if you go, I know I wasn't getting the job. So it wasn't, so I inter inter interviewed him and that's what happened. So I'm still doing the same thing 50 years. I was hired. Um, and I learned by myself the, all the, the nuts and bolts. And at the time, that was the time Times Square was really gritty. And also, I, I like I had um, hot pants. I had to, I went to the Times, which was on 43rd Street, in pink hot pants and a brown suede with pockets and brown suede boots and an Applejack hat. I'll never forget. And, and, uh, and they, and the guard said, oh, I'll give this to um, 
to Cy Peck, who was the theater editor at the time. I'm like, no, I got to give it to him because you don't didn't know anything. So they kept me waiting for an hour, but he knew I wasn't going to come out, going to leave the lobby. And he called Mr. Peck and, and it was a deadline day. I'll never forget. So he came out and he said, who is this holding up my deadline? I'm like, who are you that I have to wait for you an hour? Because you know, you don't know. And that, and that was my relationship with the press. So that's what I'm still doing for 50 years. I'm still saying, who are you? And I'm Irene Gant. Yeah. What was the process like of sort of learning how to get shows publicized since you didn't know that? Much? It was just, the thing is, um, there was no internet. You guys have, I, I did all my releases on a mimeograph machine. Um, shows started at eight o'clock or 8.30, I think. I think it was 8.30. And then you had to stand outside and every all the critics came up one night. It wasn't like now, you know. And uh, all the press agents would go to the Times at 9.30 and wait for the Times so we could see the review. And then we would go to AP, to, um, to Associated Press and Lincoln Center. Um, so it wasn't, we had the whole umbrellas. Yeah, so that was, yeah, yeah. But there were a lot more papers and a lot more people that just like theater, you know, you know, so. But the New York Times was always in the forefront, you know, of that. Clive Barnes was a critic at the time. What has your relationship been like with different critics at the Times? Over time. Oh, I love them. I mean, I have to say because I never, I was never afraid of them. Because when I came up with reviewers, the people reviewed the show. They may not have liked it, but it was not like now. Critics, they pick out everything because everybody wants to be the talent. <laughs> Critics would say, um, you know, I don't like the show. I mean, it wasn't for me. I don't pick a care for me, but the scenery was good or the costume was good or but they wouldn't like attacked, you know, um, they wouldn't attack the people because honestly, um, I've, I'm the one thing I learned about being with, uh, being with an old press agent named Max Eisen, I would say, oh, I don't like this show. I don't like this. He said, well, what, how many tickets are your review gonna sell? And I'm not, I don't know how to write a play. I don't know how to do a poem. I don't know how to do music. I don't know how to act. So I, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't think about it. You know, you, you put up, you put the best thing up because I'm going to work regardless. My career is not ended by, the show's going to, the show stay open or closed and there'll be another show, you know? Yeah. And I have to deal with the critic, not the actor. Yeah. yeah. And um, since you are like the expert on this, what do you think is the art to writing a press release for a show? I don't know how to write a press release. Oh. I still don't. I, I think I do the basics, um, you know, the who, what, where, and why. And I think when you work in theater, I don't know about other places, you have all producers and directors and press agents. So you have to do the basics. Yeah. Um, because you, the, the manager may not like what you said about the actor. The producer may might have some other thing to set. The, I mean, so it has to go to a whole screening process before you can send it out. And so in, in, in my personal, when I do shows, um, you know, we have a list that we send to theater people it's called the Broadway League and people like yourself, maybe you, you know, they get, they, we, it's approved list that press agents approve. And it's a list of people it's called the first and second night list, and we send it out to them. But personally, um, you send it out, you know, if you want to story in the Times or, or, on, or if I want to pitch you for a story or something, then we'll send out the press release. But it has to be approved. But I normally, um, when I work on my personal accounts, like I'm, I'm very big in the community, like on Harlem Week and stuff like that, I, I really... It's, you can send out a press release, but if the people don't know you, they're not going to use it. So I usually start, I usually start, I'm going to send you this. So what do you think about that? Or sometimes I think I, I call a press person and say, I'm getting ready to work on this show. Do you think this, this is going to work? Or I call my sister and say, would you buy a ticket to the show? I'm, I, I don't have a stock answer for anything. I always live in it now. Like normally, like today, I'm like, oh, I'm going to wear black hair today. You've seen my pictures. I have a turban or hat or blonde hair. 
but today I have a black curly wig because I just I go with what I feel. Yeah, you know, and I never I never go with a defeatist attitude. Like I never think if someone says, "Well, I can't do that," so what can you do? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was still I always think like that. So I don't I, I don't know if I answered your question, but I think press for me. Um, in our line of work, I think relationships are very important. Yeah. Because we use the same set designer, we use the same director, you know, we use people we can trust. So. And um, early in your career, you were working with David Atley and Howard Ragansack on quite a few shows. And so what was your sort of collaboration like with them? Oh, Howard Atley. Oh, Howard. Yeah. Yeah, they were um, just, I don't think many people know the behind the scenes because you have to be in the union, just like you have to be in equity. Um, Press agents and house managers, we have a union. And Howard, you have to apprentice to someone. So I learned to uh, drink vodka martinis because I didn't drink until I came into this business. And we would get a new show, we go to Saudi. It's it's ironic because uh, uh, I'm in the Saudis, my first job was in the Sardis building. Um, and so you learned how to work with other people. You don't really have an experience. I mean, every day is an experience because nothing is set in stone because people's emotions run wild, high, you know? So, you know, I never set my, I just go with the flow if I can. But it's always every experience. Like, I'm so excited to be with you. I didn't know you were 13 and I'm so excited. Because, you know, that's an experience, you know? Yeah, yeah. And look what you've done at 13 and people at 33 are still trying to figure it out. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So I, I applaud you for that. I'm going to get you some more people to be interviewed because I like that. Oh, I appreciate it. I'd love to ask what your uh, collaboration was like with Douglas Turner Ward. Michael Douglas? Oh, oh Douglas Turner Ward. Oh, Douglas Turner Ward. <laughs> know about that. I do know Michael personally, but uh, no, Douglas Turner Ward is the reason I'm in this business because he was the one that most of us in this business, because like I said in my Tony acceptance speech, um, here's the thing. Um, you can, you can have, it's not like now you can go on YouTube, you can make your own thing. If you can have the greatest, you can be the greatest actor, you can be the greatest set designer, but unless you get into the union work on Broadway, it's not gonna happen. And what show runs for years or five years? Because you have to apprentice for three years and people say, oh, why are you the only black person? It has a lot to do with what show runs three years that you can apprentice under. You know, it's like a 22 situation. But with Douglas Turner Ward, it was, he, had, um, he was smart enough to bring in somebody who knew the union rules like Gerald Crone. Um, Douglas, um, Robert Hooks brought in this glitz because, you know, he was on TV and all that. Um, and so we had the same contract as Lincoln Center or a law. We have what you call a law contract. So in the repertory company, you can apprentice. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, and I love Douglas Jenner work because he never forgot what, you know, because it was in the 60s. And I was always, oh, well, we're not being called Negro. We're not being, but, you know, no, he said, you know, so it was it was a commitment, not just the people of color, but the excellence and yeah. what we did, the training seven days a week. I mean, with the actors, he had like Lee Strasberg stuff, you know, he had a, a resident a company of seven, uh, 12 actors, people like uh, uh, Rosalind Cash and Clarice Taylor and Denise Nicholas and Arthur French and writers like Lonnie Elder and workshops that um, Sam and, and, and Denzel was in, you know, right, yeah. yeah. And when you were working um, off Broadway versus on Broadway, did you find that it was easier to get press for Broadway shows? Well, I think the thing is, no, I, I work, it used to, no, it's, 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 it's not easier. And it depends on the person. I never said, oh, you know, because if I work on off-Broadway, on Broadway for free, I give the same amount of energy, yeah. you know. The only time it's hard to get press on shows because now it's a little hard because we have no newspapers and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the climate has changed, you know. So, I mean, 
it's, you know, you're, you're working with people who I call them microwave people. The attention span is not, you know, they want, like when people want to see a show, like say we do a show with um, Al Pacino and the name of the show is China Doll or we do a show with Kerry Washington and the name of the show is American. So they don't want to, they don't know that. They would say, oh, I want to see the Kerry Washington show. The only show they, they know the name is Hamilton. I want to see Hamilton. And it didn't, wasn't like that when I first started. So you have to adapt. You know, you don't have to change, but you have to adapt. And you have to stay, keep your, keep your things to the pulse, your ears to the pulse. And you have to like, like when I say, how old are you? And you say 13, I don't, I was like, oh, wow, why am I doing this? He's 13, you know what I mean? Yeah. What does he have to say? You know, but come on, you know, that's, you know, that's, I think that's what, that's how I live my life. I have, I have mentors from eight years old to 80, you know, I was just talking to eight year old yesterday and I was say, oh, I'm doing so many interviews. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm behind the scenes. And, and she said, I mean, why don't you just own it? You earned it. What are you talking about? Roll with it. I'm like, she's right. No one gave me anything. Yeah. Ah, I rubber band. I'm still getting braces though. <laughs> I'm 13. <laughs> and what was your, uh, before you were involved as a press agent, what was your childhood like growing up out of New York? Oh my God, I had a great life. I, I grew up in Westbury, Long Island. I was born in 1943. My parents were one of the first black families to settle there um, in 1935. In 1935, um, you know, we had a house, they had a house, they were 40 years old. I had a great time. I went to church. Um, we, um, my mother was a uh, domestic on the fifth of state, which is now where Westbury, my godfather was a groom. I would go up there and play croquette. Um, we, my, even though, um, even though my parents weren't that well educated, according to, but they made sure that my sister and I, my sister's six years younger, that we went to Carnegie Hall and see stuff and go to Wright Beach. So I, you know, um, it was very hard for me to uh, understand why people wanted to, why I'm generalizing now, why everybody wanted to be with white people. Because I, I mean, why they needed that validation? We didn't have that in my house, you know. I remember um, my dad said, "Well, I remember we were driving in a car, and the and the police stopped my dad for something, and not like now, but you know, and just he wasn't because there, everybody knew everybody. The village was ten thousand people, and the guy said, and the policeman said, oh." get out of the car and said, I'm not getting out of the car. And he said something. And I remember I was seven years old and my dad said, looked at him and said, look, I have a blue seat at home in the closet too, you know? And so that, and then, you know, we had our own house. We bought the property and all stuff. And there's a insurance man would come every day for 25 years and you pay $2 That's part of, you know, and because black people, oh, we all people of color, really serious about being buried <laughs> seriously and uh and land so my dad would never let white people in his house oh ever not for coffee no snow nothing he said you know, because he came from that south where you know he had a choice if you have what you own you can do what you want with it and that's how i grew up i mean even in terms of dating he said if you want a lobster dinner charles you're freezing oh okay oh Am I Rose? Oh, sorry about that. I don't know why that happened. No, that's all right. This technology, it happens in uh, New York one or two. two. <laughs> oh. No, my dad said, you know, if you have, you have to have your own, you know, and a lot of times people are not thinking about what you're doing. They're trying to put food on the table and stuff. So that's how I grew up. And I think that's, that's, that's my thing too. I mean, there are people that are not going to like you. I mean, when the Jews start coming in Westbury in 1958, you thought it was like Armageddon because there was only, you know, you know, people don't like change. Yeah. You know, so, or they don't like anybody they don't know because they don't communicate. Yeah. But everybody's entitled to their opinion. I agree with that. You know, you don't have to like it. Yeah. But just give me fair playing ground. You know, I, we're going to a war. I want, I want, I want, I'm not David in the Bible. I, I'm not, 
I don't want a slingshot. <laughs> I want an AK-47, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And how did your uh, parents feel about your choice of career to be in the theater? They were still, my, when my dad died, my dad, they were still asking me, when, to, when am I, when am I going to get a real job? <laughs> yeah, hello. A teacher or, you know, your parents are still the same. You need education. Of course I had education, but I went to NYU for six weeks and left because I, I loved the village. I live, I'm still in the village now. No, they didn't think about it. They said, you know, because they didn't realize, you know, I had my daughter. They, they, you know, they don't know what this is. Now you guys are lucky because you're in a generation where it makes sense because you have, you're from the baby boomers where the people, they were marched and everything, and, you know, so they know, you know, uh, they're more liberal. And um, what was some of the um, either theater or movies that you were exposed to that meant the most to you, either growing up or later on, or? Um, the movies, movies, growing up? Growing up. Yeah, oh, like, oh my God, well, TV, um, well, we went to, we would go, my mom, would take us to see um, the Bowery Boys because remember we was in Westbury Long Island, but and on um, TV I have Perry Mason, uh, Leave It to Beaver. I'm trying to think when I was very young. Oh, we always watched the Ed Sullivan Show, you know, stuff like that because there was no black programming, you know. So we would just like we I'm we liked entertainment, and then you have to realize back in the 40s and 50s, very few people you don't know if they even had TV like now everybody doesn't have cable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people think that, but they don't. And thank God for, you know, people can see things on the internet and stuff. And how did you uh, balance later on being a wife and a mother with being a press agent? Was that ever a challenge? Oh, listen, I took my, I, you know, that's why I thank the stagehands and the wardrobe people in my Tony speech. I took my daughter everywhere. She was raised by the stagehands and the, and, the, uh, <laughs> and the wardrobe people. I balanced it because people... Kids just want to know if you're gone away, if you're away, kids don't know what the day, what your day is like. They just don't see you. And you say, well, I'm working to make things better. It's like, but is it really better if you don't see your mom? And then when you do see her, she's all frazzled. Doesn't make things better. So even though, like I, um, I live very modestly, but I've always spend money on a housekeeper. So if I did have a long day when I couldn't see her, I mean, she was always seen, but you know, if she wasn't coming with me to the theater, but I was on the date, I would, um, I, I would, I wouldn't have to cook or anything. So I wouldn't come home. Oh, I got to rush home. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I tried to let, uh, you know, let her know what she was doing. And I, and I told her, I can't come to PTA meetings, but I can take your friends to Sardis and cake for ice cream and, and give them tickets to Avita. <laughs> you know, I think um, you have to be, yeah, because she understood and she under, because what goes with that is a work ethic. So she's been working, it's like you, you work, I'm sure your family, you see a work ethic in your family, you know? I mean, so you see it because they allow you to see it, you know? And you never make, and I, yeah, so that is not a balance, I mean, it's, well, I didn't have, I had Myra before I had a career, but I, I don't, I don't like when people say I'm doing this for my kid or I, I could do this. Because my mom used to say, oh, I would be a dancer if I didn't have kids. I'm staying here for the kids and I'm moving to Hoboken, New Jersey because of the kids or, you know, I'm not, I, I can't be baseball players of the kids. You know, that's, the kids didn't ask to come here. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So um, you're famous in the industry now for your sense of style that's so iconic. And how did you sort of develop that? Well, it comes from a long line of black uh, church going people. My mom was a great, always dressed nice. Because you have to realize people don't talk about it. You have to realize black people cannot do, we appearances, everything to us. Because even if you're dressed nicely, you still, you know, but, but um, you're, you're taught to always dress nicely. And you look at, you go to church, you see people always, you don't, you know, unless, um, and you just, and you have a style of your own. 
you know, I'm a fashionista. My mom was a fashionista, my godmother, my sister. My daughter, not so much. She's getting there now, but she, you know, she's a village girl, but but now, now I'm so proud of her. When she comes to visit, she's like, oh, I'm so, I want to be cute. But I think for me, um, I don't have a full of the mirror in my house. I just wear what I want to wear because I'm a free spirit. I think, um, like everyone's asked me what I'm going to wear to Tony's. I might wear this. I don't know. You know, um, want, want to dress me because I don't, that's, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, yeah. So I am a fashionista. I don't dress to shock. I, you know, like just before he came, I, I said, oh, what was it? I didn't say, oh, what am I going to wear? I know I had to be wear something. I'm like, maybe I should wear a turban. I was, oh, I did that. I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, let me just, let me wear my dark hair. I mean, I just felt like this. And, and now I have my, my daughter brought me back to stuff. Oh, you can't see stuff from, from Ghana. Little dresses. I have more African. Oh. <laughs> so I have a little African thing. So after I, after I talk to you, I'm going to go downstairs and do wear my African little skirt. Oh. <laughs> so that's how I live my life. Yeah. And when you and when you live in your truth, you don't have to worry about anything else. You know. Oh, you want to see my Tony? I brought it. This is my. Oh, this is my. It's already have it. I'd love to ask about one of the early hits you all worked on. Okay. Uh, Dames at Sea, off Broadway. What? Oh my God! See? Oh wow! That was at the Bowery Theater, Bernadette Peters. That was one of the first shows I see. That's what I'm saying. You did your homework. No one has asked me that. Thank God you asked me that. That was so exciting. I didn't know anything. It was just great. And uh, you don't know if you have an experience. You just do the work. See, that's the thing. Uh, in terms of press agent, you don't have time to think. I mean, if they tell you to wash the windows or tell you to get coffee, it's a really a dressed-up flunky's job. You know, really, it is because the people want to do it, but it's you don't. It's like a governess. You don't own a house. It's not yours. You get to play in other people's money. It's like politics. I mean, I, I can't say, but you're thirteen politics and that other the three P's: politics, public relations, and the other P where people you know get paid for it and pay for services. Yeah. Because you're you're hustling, it's very political. You have to sell yourself, and the politics you go with the flow. One of the um, legends of theater who you worked with was Yubi uh, Blake on the show Yubi. Oh my God! Now this is a typical example. Yubi Blake. Ah oh, yes. Um, I want to talk about his wife taught my daughter how to make paper, paper dolls. Oh. Um. And I would take my daughter because we have had to go to the house in Brooklyn. Because always um, do his finger exercise. He was 96 and he was like, he was very, very active. So that was a very great experience for me. Um, and he was so lively and him and Gregory Hines got along well. Maybe he did Saturday Night Live with Gregory Hines, yeah. It was a great experience. And he was 96 and he would always look great. Oh. And his wife was still jealous of him, thinks women won, so that was good. Yeah. And I'd love to ask about your uh, work with the late Mickey Grant on Your Arms Too Short to Box with God. Yes, Mickey Grant. You know, thank you for mentioning Mickey Grant. Oh. You know, um, she's an unsung hero. You know, I worked on Your Arms Too Short to Box with God. Um, with uh, Matter of fact, that's Jennifer Holiday, but Mickey was a, she was a, she was a gentle woman, but very brilliant composer and writer. But I, yeah, I just loved her. You know, I loved her. And I think sometimes people get stuck and they, and that's very, they get stuck and are fearful, you know? And then she, and then it's, it, the timing is everything, you know, Charles, it wasn't the time, you know, it was, you know, there's, it wasn't that opportunities. You know, so yeah. she's a great collaborator, and she was her and uh, Billy Allen, those guys, all of those guys, yeah. 
Is there any show that you've worked on that you've been very surprised by how it did? Yeah, I mean, because you normally think that the shows that have the stars and all the names above the title, but August Osage County is one of them. Oh. Uh, that, I wasn't surprised. I wanted to, um, we had two, we had two shows in that office that time. It was August Osage County. It was November with Nathan Lane and Laura Metcalf. And there was another one around Ulusposa. You can look it up. I forgot. It was one of those, what are those, what are those playwrights name? You know, like, who did Iceman Coming? One of those guys. And and Jeffrey said, I said, no, I want to work on August Osage County because I want to work on something that I really had to work on. Because Nathan Lane was no, you know, and and once I saw it, you know, because nobody was thinking about it, but because I was just like, I just was tirelessly working on it. And once I saw it, I was so passionate about it. It did very well. Yeah. 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 I never think of, I never think of shows not doing well. I never think what can do well because you, you're, you're at the mercy of the kindness of strangers. I mean, who knew Hamilton was going to do whatever? I personally don't, I don't dislike Hamilton but it's something for everybody but i'm like really <laughs> but i'm glad hamilton brought made uh, broadway a rock star again yeah because no one was thinking about broadway until hamilton they were thinking about revivals i mean you know the public was oh broadway oh broadway you know so i'm not mad at lynn not mad at you lynn and tommy <laughs> <laughs> i love you <laughs> and um, working as one of the only uh, Black press agents on Broadway, did you experience racism from other people? I don't know. I don't, I don't have time. I can't think of it. Maybe people don't like my dress or my hair. I don't know. Yeah. I don't wake up like that. You know, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I was the only Black person because I'm the only white person on Broadway working for, for 50 years. Uh, nonstop. So I'm sure there was. I mean, people make jokes. I mean, people make jokes about Jews and Asians and and uh, every yeah. But you know, listen, I, you know, I, I I never think about things like that. Yeah. I mean, I don't let anybody talk to me in any way. I mean, it's a, you know, um, but I always have a comeback. You know, they go and they go overhead. It's like um, like Tyler Perry when he did um. See, racism comes in different forms, Charles. Like Charles um, Tyler Perry, when he did Broody Shop at the Beacon Theater before he was Tyler Perry. And, and I talked to the Times, I wanted him to come to review the show. And I said, well, you know, it's the Chitin Circuit, it's the same old story. I'm like, you've been telling these same old story about Jewish people, Neil Simon shows for the last 50 years. So what's the difference? He's writing about what he knows. What's the difference? Between reviewing Neil Simon for a hundred times, somebody grew up in Yonkers and blah, 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 blah or reviewing O'Neill, or, you know, what's the difference? People write about what they know. So that's 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 what I think is racism. Yeah. That's my favorite racism. But I don't think about racism for myself. I think about getting the job done. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I but also, yeah, yeah. So if it happens, it happens. People just don't like people. Yeah. But that has nothing to do with me. But also, I think, as a, to address um, the issue, you know, you have to keep your honor and prize. Another thing my dad said, used to say, he said, you know, if I tell you to go to the store and get the butter, don't get caught up in somebody on the spot. Don't get caught up on the way there. You get the butter and bring it back home. Not, maybe I should, should it be Marjorie. Maybe somebody says, oh, maybe you, why are you getting butter? Marjorie is cheaper. Don't get caught up in the, the noise. Yeah. Keep your eye on the prize. And that's what I do. And so I would love to ask about another uh, great figure of the theater who you collaborated with, and that was uh, Bob Fosse. Oh my God. I was, it's funny, I was just having these questions last night. I was talking. I was with Bob. I did all Bob Fosse's national shows. I was with him when he died. Oh. And uh, I love Bob Fosse. We had a great time. 
and and, I, and it's funny because the day before he the, the hour before he died I'm like because you know he would rehearse everybody up until half hour all day long and when you're on the road shows only on the week and you know you can't do that and that he and unfortunately I this is just my opinion he he was at a point where you know he had Michael Jackson video he had Michael Peterson video was coming and he was stuck in between that because it was no because there's no place for musical comedy there's no place for musical comedy on broadway now so if you think about it what is what is the musical they're coming back with their revivals but no new musical comedy so yeah we were you know we because we were cut from the same cloth that that brand of, of, of theater people martinis hennessy you know just hard driving that's yeah and you know we understood that. See, these people have never been my fans. I've been a fan of them, but I've never been. I've never thinking of them. I don't think of them as. I, I'm a straight shooter. They straight shooter. You know what I mean? Yeah. We get along, but I'm not enamored. Enamored with them. I'm enamored with soap opera stars. <laughs> I was like a big fan of soap opera stars. I was like, oh. <laughs> Who have been some of the people that you actually have been the most excited to meet during your career? I don't think I haven't met them yet. I mean, I just, I, um, I'm excited to meet you today. And I'm not saying that because you are, yeah. I, I, um, the thing is, I don't have a choice of trying to meet people because when a producer said, oh, I want to have Justin Bieber, I have to call up to find out where he is and agent and try to make it happen. So I'm excited to meet people who have real jobs that are saving lives. That's who I'm excited to meet. Um, like I'm excited to meet young scientists that are trying to have a cure, not just for COVID, but for polio and stuff like that. I'm excited for young lawyers. I'm excited to, I'm excited for people who have real jobs. Yeah. I call them real jobs, you know? I'm excited people that, you know, we're watching the news that people are still going to Rikers and putting their, 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 um, their safety at risk. Those, those are the people I'm proud to know, you know? Yeah. And I got to go. Do you mind if I ask you like maybe two last questions? Yes. Let me know. Yes, you can. No, I'm not. No, yes. You know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> go oh. ahead. <laughs> well, so I'd love to ask um, about your like opinion on theater coming back and the Tonys and everything like that that you're involved in? Yeah, I'm very happy. You know, I, you know, I was like bitching about, I'm, I'm going to retire, blah, 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 blah. But I, when I went to the first day of rehearsal for Thoughts of a Color Man, because I'm on the production team, um, I said, oh my God, I have such a passion. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it. And it, it'll probably, and I, and I was saying uh, the other day, I was saying like, we have treat, treated our New York theater community like stepchildren, because we always depend on the people coming in from um, Thanksgiving Day Parade, um, what is it, the ball dropping, then they leave and then, you know what I'm saying? And so now we don't have that. Now we have to, to hide the hard, the, the diehard New Yorker. So I'm glad that we're making that commitment. The producers are making that commitment. Yeah. And I'm glad the actors well, will realize what a gift it is to work and stop complaining. <laughs> They're a little, we'll see how softer and kinder. After, well, I'll we'll give it six months. <laughs> no. I'd love to just close by um, asking you, uh, what advice would you give to somebody just starting out in the theater? Do the work. And um, don't have the question before the answer and don't have the solution before the problem. Because, well, yeah, I mean, I say that to say, you can say, well, I want to move to New York and do a show. Like, I'm going to do a podcast. I want to move to New York, but do a podcast. But if I move to New York, maybe I can't move. Oh, if I move to New York, maybe I can't find an apartment. But wait, maybe I need to save up. I need to save up. And then I have to find out. And already, you haven't even moved to New York and you already have, you already took yourself out of that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's, and then 
another one I, I say, um, and I have to say it to myself, don't have the answer before the question. It's like you break up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your job and says, you just like you give them a lashing or whatever you call it. Say I'm old lashing. And they say, you say, well, when they call back, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say, it. they may never call back. <laughs> so you're sitting there with an answer with no question. <laughs> and, and, and that's it. You know, just don't, you know, um, don't talk yourself out of a career. Um, and just do the work, it's work. It's called show business, not show play. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I know that I'm not an actress. So I'm not trying to be an actress. I know I'm not a playwright. You have to, you know, know your limitations, but never limit yourself. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, try it. You know, I, I, when I started acting, when I went, I, I wanted to be the person that picked the person. And that's what I, you know, and if I couldn't be the person that picked the person, I wanted, you know, I knew I, I knew I wasn't going to be a person that had to be picked, <laughs> but I like myself too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for doing this. It's been an honor. Well, thank you. you. I'm so impressed by you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Fall left, fall left. Yeah. Fall left. Yeah, thank you.